Good morning, Community Grace. Good to be with you here today. It's also good to be greeting those who are watching to our live stream today. We pray that the Lord would be with you as we gather together in this place. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. And I got to tell you something. I think uh, Mark really gave probably the best sermon that we needed today. <laughs> right there, you know. I mean, God, the thrift store. God finds us in the thrift store of life, brings us into a place of shelter, a place of refuge into that house. Folks, that's the gospel right there. And wherever it is that you are coming today, I want you to know that you are welcome here. That this is the place where God makes old things new. And it makes all things new. And he refreshes us and he restores us and he cleans us up out of his great, great, great love for us. You are loved and you are welcome here because of God's love. And I know that. I know that God is glad that you are here. Because he says that he is kind and compassionate. He's great in mercy. He's forgiving his love is never ending. It's complete, and it completes us in him. And as far as the east is from the west, it says he removes our sins from us. That means everything that has broken us apart, everything that we've done, everything that we've failed to do, all of that in God's love and forgiveness is wiped away. It's pushed as far away as the east is from the west. What a good word that is for us. That's the good news today, friends, and it's good to be here. Because all of us are on a journey, right? We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey in life, and it's bringing us through all kinds of different places. And part of that journey led you here today, but I imagine that journey has left you in a lot of different places, hasn't it? Some places have been good. Some places have been rough. Some places have been fun. Some places have been heartbreaking. It's all part of the journey. And that journey has led you here today, and that's really good. You know, we've been on a journey, too, together as a church over the course of this summer. We've been on a journey through the book of Acts in a sermon series we've been calling Mission Possible, out of the word mission impossible, of course. It's a mission made possible by Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in each of us, because that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about God's mission. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the acts of the early church, the church in action, the same church that we're a part of today that was started some 2,000 years ago through an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that brought and gathered together people from all kinds of nations and all kinds of different backgrounds to come and worship of the one true God. This book is all about the church in action, and it's about missionaries in action too. Fulfilling that mission, those missionaries were called apostles. It's just another word for missionary. It means sent out ones, people who are sent out. You get sent out every week here, don't you? When you're done and we're here for a period of time, if, if you're at the end of the service, we send everybody out. You are being sent out apostolically out into the world to carry on that mission. And that's what we've been reading about through the book of Acts. It's the acts of the apostles. It's the action of the early church, and it's the Holy Spirit in action because none of this is possible without him. None of this is possible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's an impossible mission apart from that. We've been talking specifically about what the mission is. Jesus gave us the mission. He gave it to us in Matthew 28 when he said, All authority in earth and in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's about making disciples, friends. He sends us out with that mission, and he promises to be with us, and then he shows us how he is going to be with us, because he was leaving and departing physically from this earth to not be seen by the disciples anymore, and so he sent a promise to them, a promise that shows up right at the beginning of the book of Acts, and it sets the whole tone for the book of Acts. 
when he's with his disciples and he says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. That's the power that we need in this mission. So that's what we've been studying together as we've been working our way through this, friends. And if you'd like to follow along with us, please, we'd love to have you open up a Bible. You may have brought one of your own. If you don't, just raise your hand. We've got the ushers coming down, and they will give you a Bible to be able to follow along in the book of Acts in the particular passage that we are studying today. And uh, we've been working all the way through it this summer, folks. And, and if you feel like, oh, no, I haven't been reading this all. I'm just new here today, or I've missed out on a few weeks, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to bring you up to speed in a really fast way here today. But also, you know what? God's word is good in every portion of it. So he has something to share with you specifically today in what he wants to share with us. So we've been in the book of Acts. The book of Acts focuses a lot around one apostle in particular, one who was called out and sent forward out into the world. His name is Paul. Paul. And Paul was somebody who was terrible towards the church in his early days. Matter of fact, he was a persecutor of the church. He was, a, he was a bad guy in every way until God got a hold of his heart, transformed him, renewed him completely, and he became the greatest missionary in the history of the world. And Paul went out into all kinds of places in the world. He went from town to town with a group of companions sharing the good news about Jesus. And one of the places that he wound up going was a place called Athens. Has anybody ever heard of Athens before? Yeah, Athens is still there today. Big city in Greece. Well, Athens was there all the way back in that time when Paul was there, too. And Athens is a remarkable, amazing city, and it has an incredible rich history. And that history revolves around two things. First of all, Athens was a place of many gods, little g, many gods, something called the Greek pantheon of gods, which basically means many gods, lots of different Gods, little g gods. And these gods, unfortunately, were an awful lot like human beings, which is why would anybody want to worship a god that's a whole lot like us? I, I prefer not to. I prefer to worship somebody who is greater and, and more transcendent than me. That's awesome. That's why we worship Jesus. But here's the deal. These gods each had a particular area that they were supposed to be helpful in in life particular area that they were kind of overseeing. And so the, the, the Greek pantheon of gods was, was an expression of all the needs of these people, and they figured that if they worshipped these gods, they would get something out of them. But let me give you some of the names of some of these gods. Some of these gods are names that you're probably going to be familiar with, because some of them have carried over in their names into modern usage. So there was, there was one god by the name of Apollo. Apollo. And Apollo was the god of music and art. He had a group of people who were around him constantly creating art and music. Anybody like art and music? I like art and music. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, they had this god of art and music, and his name was Apollo. Then there was Ares. Ares was the god of war. Nobody likes war, but if you're going to go into a war, you might as well have a god on your side, right? So that's what they thought. Here was Ares. We're going to go into battle, then we better leave something for Ares, so Ares will be on our side. Then there was a god by the name of Hades. Anybody ever heard of Hades before? Yeah, it's kind of like, wow, there was a god by that name? Yes, Hades was the Greek god of the underworld. But he was also the god of wealth. How do those go together? Well, where do you find the gold and the silver? you got to dig for it, right? It's down below. It's under the earth. So that's where the wealth was, and Hades was responsible for all of that in the underworld. Then there was Poseidon. 
Poseidon. Anybody heard that name before, Poseidon? There was an old movie called The Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon was, was the, the Greek god of the oceans. He was in charge of the oceans. And you needed somebody to be in charge of the oceans because the oceans were scary. It was a scary place to go out on the oceans. That was where it was deep. It was dark. That's where things were that came up and bit you and knocked over your boat and all that kind of stuff. So you needed a god to protect you. And so they chose Poseidon. Then there was a, a god by the name of Kronos. Ever heard the word Kronos before? It sounds like this. It sounds like chronological. Chronological. Kronos. It means the god of time. He's the god of time. You know, we like to have time. You like to have time. We all want more time, right? So if you want some time, and you want time to be on your side, you'd make a particular offering to Kronos. Then there was a god by the name of Nike. We pronounce it a little differently today. It's Nike. Ever heard of Nike? Yeah, some of you may have the swoosh on your feet right now. Nike. Nike was the, the god of strength and of speed and of victory. Victory. Yes, that's why Nike has that swoosh on the thing. Just do it, right? Win. Yeah, so that's where that came from. You want to win? Well, you worship Nike. Then there was Athena. Athena was the goddess of wisdom. And Athena is where Athens got its name. Athens, they were very big on worshiping Athena. They had a temple dedicated to Athena right there in Athens. And then there was Hera. Hera, who was the goddess of wisdom. Oh, excuse me. No, Hera was the goddess of marriage, women, and heaven. Marriage, women, heaven. Guys, would anybody disagree that that's exactly what you got in your wife, right? <laughs> I, so, of course. So when you wanted a good marriage, when you wanted things to go well in your house, you prayed to Hera. And then there was Zeus. And Zeus was the king of all the gods. And Zeus sat on the top of the mountain, and the mountain was called Olympus. Olympus. Does that sound like anything you're familiar with? The Olympics? The Olympics that started in Greece. It was, a, it was Mount Olympus. It was, it was games that were put on to entertain the gods. Games of speed and of strength and all these different kinds of things. You see, these words have played their way down into our nomenclature, into our words. But these were names of the Greek gods, many, many of them. And then they had another god, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here as we work our way into our passage here. So that was Greece, the place of many gods. But Greece was also the place of something else. It was the place of many thoughts. Many great thoughts. Any of you ever study philosophy in college? You know, everybody had to take like philosophy 1001. Whether you needed to or not, you had to take it. Yes, yes. There were some names there that you probably studied. Names like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato and Democritus. All these, these great thinkers of the time. And they were great thinkers that came from Athens and Greece. They were all centered right there. It was a great place of thought Great thinking and many gods. Many gods, many thoughts, that's Athens. And that sets the stage for where we're going to go today because that's where Paul went. Paul went to Athens and he had a rather interesting encounter there. And that's what we're going to read about today. Open up your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 17. Chapter 17. It's on page 1624 in uh, the Bibles that we handed out if you need it there. Otherwise, you can open up your own Bible or Pull it out on your iPad or on your phone or wherever it is that you need to go. And we're going to start reading together in chapter 17 at verse 16. So follow along as I read. 
While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is, made, being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Interesting encounter here. Paul is there in Athens, and Athens ain't what it used to be. By the time that Paul is there in Athens in the early first century, it really wasn't known as being this great city of great gods and of great thoughts. That was kind of in their past history, like some 300 years earlier. It wasn't even a great city of trade anymore. Corinth and Ephesus and these other cities had kind of taken over that role. But Athens still kind of thought highly of themselves. They were the place still where we wanted to debate really good thoughts. And it says they spent most of their time talking about stuff. Lots of time talking and talking and talking. I'll bring your ideas. Let's talk. So here comes Paul into this environment. And what does Paul notice? There are idols everywhere. 
Because there's all these gods. And if you're going to make these gods happy, you've got to build an idol of them, and you've got to worship them. You've got to leave some stuff for them to make them happy, right? Because you want the gods to look favorably on you. I mean, if, if you want to have a, a victory in your race, you want to be sure and, and leave something at the Nike altar. If you want to have victory in your battle that you're getting ready to form, well, you better leave something there for Ares and hope that maybe Ares will be on your side. You couldn't really tell. You weren't really sure, but you figured that your best shot was just to leave something there for them. You know, when I was in Southeast Asia a few years back, I was on a mission journey with a good friend and colleague of mine. And in Southeast Asia, the place that we were visiting was highly Buddhist and Hindu. And it was kind of a merger of the two religions right there. And if you know anything about Hinduism, it's like they got lots and lots of gods. There are gods everywhere. But what I discovered is the way that that kind of practically worked out in their lives is when you went to people's homes, there was a little what looked like a birdhouse outside by the walkway. Looked like a birdhouse. You'd be like, oh, well, that's cool. I don't see any birds around here, but they've, they've got this kind of birdhouse out there. Well, it wasn't a birdhouse. It was a spirit house. Because every person believed that there was a spirit that was responsible for whether good things or bad things happened in their house. And so they built a house outside the house for this spirit to live in, and they would leave fruit, and they would leave stuff because they wanted to keep the local spirit happy. But you didn't just have a house spirit. You could have a neighborhood spirit, and they'd build a little bigger house for the neighborhood. You could have a city spirit, and they'd build a big house kind of temple place for the city spirit because you wanted the city spirit to be happy. All of these different spirits, you had to leave something for them to keep them happy. It's the same thing that was happening in Athens. Leave some things to keep the gods happy, and this is what Paul encountered. He went, wow, there's a lot of idols around here. The many gods... And who shows up? A couple of philosophers, an Epicurean and a Stoic philosopher, the people who like to talk, discuss deep thoughts. And they picked out two in particular who came to talk to Paul, Epicureans and Stoics. Well, we know something about Epicureanism and Stoicism. Those philosophies have actually made their way forward into life. But back then, it was pretty understood what an Epicurean and a Stoic were. An Epicurean was somebody who had basically a a simple understanding of life. Be happy. Be happy. Life is about being happy and avoiding anything that makes you sad. Staying away from anything that causes pain. Seek out pleasure and happiness in your life. That's what an Epicurean was. And so how do you suppose they figured they would be happy? Well, leave the right things for the gods. Try to to live your life in a way that's always enjoying the most and finding the most happiness and the most freedom from pain as you possibly can. That's a life philosophy. So you got to leave things to the right gods to make that happen. And then there were the Stoics. And the Stoics also had a basic philosophy of life. And their philosophy of life was be good. Be good. They were high on on virtue and ethics. They wanted you to do the right thing. The best way to live life was to do good things. You do good things, and good things will happen to you. And you leave good things for the gods, and good things will come your way. It's, It's just a transaction. Live a good life. Be happy, be good. Be happy, 
be good. Does it sound familiar? It should, because it's really kind of the two dominant philosophies of our age. Be happy. Seek happiness at all costs. Look for things that make you happy as much as you can and do whatever you can to avoid pain. Escape it. Get away from it. Do whatever you have to do. And if it means that you've got to leave some offerings someplace to make that happen, go for it. I mean, they left fruit and things in, in front of idols that were made out of stone and things like that. How ridiculous, right? I mean, who would ever go to a place like, like maybe hoping for, for a victory and would like go someplace and like cheer on that team that was there because that's really the only place that you found joy in life. Ooh. Yeah, guilty as charged. Now, is there something wrong with cheering for your team? No. But if that cheering for the team comes in front of you cheering for God, well, then it's an idol. Then it's in the way. You have raised it up to a level of worship. Because, friends, everybody's going to worship something. No matter what, everybody is going to worship something or someone. So be happy and seek happiness at all costs. Or just be good. Just be good. Be good. In fact, be good enough that you're better than the person next to you because that's the only comparison you got. Well, as long as I'm better than that guy. Boy, do we ever live in a culture that loves that, don't we? Boy, we love to see the famous fall. We love to see people who are in power become shamed and and humiliated because it makes us feel good about ourselves, right? Oh, I guess I'm not so bad. So we live a life just trying to be good, trying to be good enough. If I just do enough good things and I'm better than most of the people around me, not only will I find happiness, but I figure that in the end, the God that I kind of know will probably let me in. He'll put it all on the scales and he'll say, yeah, you've pretty much been good enough. It kind of outweighed the bad in your life and so you get in. And you just hope that you don't go up there like, like the little girl in Willy Wonka, and it's like, oh, nope, sorry, bad egg. <laughs> just want it to all weigh out in your favor. Be happy and be good. And Paul comes to engage these people and to share with them that they are very religious, for sure, but they don't know who the real God is. They have an altar to an unknown God. And there's a little story about that. I'll tell it to you really quickly. There were some horrible plagues that were going on and diseases that were coming into the land where Athens was. And they started panicking and getting concerned. And so they started leaving out offerings for all of these different gods. And they leave some for the god of war, saying maybe Ares will protect us from this horrifying disease. And no, it did, that didn't work. Okay, let's go give something to Nika. Let's go, go give something to Hera. Let's go. They're giving up to all of these different places. And the plague kept coming. So finally they said, all right, well, maybe there's some God that we don't even know about. Let's just build an altar for that God. It's unknown. We'll worship there. And the plague stopped. So there was this altar to an unknown God. Paul says, let me make that God known to you. This is the God of the universe. This is the God who created you. And he's not in a temple made out of stone. And he doesn't need you to leave stuff in front of him to impress him. He doesn't need you to act good enough to hope that he's going to let you in. 
And there's more to this life than just seeking happiness. This God has given you purpose, an eternal purpose, born out of his eternal love for you. And this God is not like any man, but the God-man, Jesus, came to live among us. And we know that he was a God-man because he was crucified and he rose from the dead. And that was something that none of the Athenians could accept. Because that didn't happen. Only the gods were immortal. Nobody else could be raised from the dead. But Jesus was. Paul wants to make it loud and clear to them. Folks, life isn't about just being happy and trying to be good. The pursuit of those things will not lead you anywhere. How's it working for you? The God of the universe who came to us in Jesus Christ shows us something totally different. Not be happy and be good, but believe and belong. Believe and belong. You see, when you can admit that you're never really going to be good enough, when you admit the fact that happiness as a goal is always fleeting because it's always around the next corner and the next corner, and maybe I'm happy for a little bit, but then I'm sad again, and so I've got to find the next thing to make me happy. Jesus has come to me. Find rest in me. And he gives us a promise. And the promise is what we believe. And we believe the promise of what God has done for us because God alone is good. He is good. And his mercy endures forever. And out of his goodness, he sends Jesus to us. And Jesus becomes the offering for us to enter into eternal life. It's a complete reversal of everything about religion. Everything about trying to pursue happiness or make yourself good enough. This is about life found in Jesus, the one who gives us life, the one in which we live and move and have our being. The one who calls us his children through adoption. Friends, this is the good news. And it's needed more than ever in our community. But it starts with us having a real trust that this is the truth. That this is the truth. And friends, this is the truth that sets you free. It's not the truth that puts you in further bondage to just be like, okay, well, I guess I just got to pull it up by my bootstraps and, and just try to be real good this week. And I'll just be better than I was last week. And hopefully that'll be good enough. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a God who loves you so deeply and wants so much good in you and for you that he has made you righteous through the righteousness of Jesus. He came in bodily form to be among us, to pay the price so that his goodness could flow into our lives. It could make us whole, broken people like you and I. And it's not just an add-on to all the other idols that we see all around us. It's the one, only, true God. The creator of the universe who loves you, calls you into faith to believe in Jesus, and then to belong to him. 
that faith and trust in Jesus alone. We belong to him now. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to hope that we're good enough. We don't need to seek happiness because everything that we need is found in him. And he gives it to us freely and paid for it with his own blood. Friends, may you know that love today. Whatever it is that brought you here today, this is not a place to just try and be happy or pretend that you are. It's also not a place to just try and be good and be better than somebody else. It's a place to be real in our brokenness before a loving Father who accepts you right where you are and then transforms you through the power of the Holy Spirit into something you could never imagine being. His child, the focus of his love. Friends, let's pray. Let's come before this God, the one and only God who comes to us through his son Jesus Christ and is revealed to us fully and completely. Heavenly Father, Daddy, we come to you today knowing that you are good and that your mercies endure forever. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And as far as the east is from the west, you have separated our sin from us. Lord, there's no possible way we could do any of that ourselves. There's no possible way we could hope to even start to do that for ourselves. So, Lord, today we give up. We give up trying to impress you. We give up trying to impress each other. We give up trying to seek happiness which is fleeting, and instead we find our life and our hope and our being right in you, the one who gives us peace and joy that sustains us in every circumstance, good or bad, the one who gives us eternal life through forgiveness of our sins. Only you could do that, Jesus. Thank you that you have offered that to us as a free gift. Lord, may every person within the sound of my voice open their hearts to receive that gift anew today. The gracious gift of your love, of your forgiveness, a family that welcomes us into eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.